going to start our new series today called Living in Tents. And I've been thinking about this series all year long. I've been thinking about where we would be as a congregation, the fact that we begin construction a week from tomorrow, uh, and how there's going to be change going on. And, and uh, I'm a visionary. I like change. I like the prospect of new things developing. But I've discovered over time that not everyone enjoys change. And, uh, and so uh, I, I knew that we would be uh, going through a new season that would apl apply both to individuals and families, but also for us as a church to be prepared to follow God's leadership during times of change. Many of you don't know this, but I grew up in my family story in five different states and grew up in 23 different houses. And, uh, you know, I, I began my journey in Colorado. I was born in Denver, Colorado. My dad had pastored in a little town called Lyman, Colorado. And then after uh, we left that church for a short season, we were in Goodland, Kansas with my grandparents where my mom had grown up. And then we moved to Des Plaines, Illinois. I think we were in in uh, Bettendorf, Iowa, Davenport area for a little bit, and then uh, and to Des Plaines, Illinois, and then, then to DeKalb, Illinois, and then up to the great state of Michigan. And, uh, and I actually, for the first part of the journey, my dad had a, got a job up in Michigan. Uh, my dad and I actually stayed and lived in a tent for a few weeks while uh, before the rest of the family moved up. And so, uh, and then we lived in a number of different housing uh, units over time. We had a house back in the 1970s. Uh, uh, I don't know if any of you remember double digit house interest rates, but my family experienced that and the pain of that. And we had to move out of our house and we ended up living in a, a number of houses that were rental houses, duplexes. And as a kid, I didn't know any different. I was just getting a new experience all the time and new states, new uh, stuff. Um, and I, I don't know uh, what my parents felt with all of the transitions and how they felt, but they provided a home of security. I never felt insecure. I always felt like God was going to provide. There was always a positive predisposition to life, though we went through so much change. And uh, in fact, there were many benefits that came out of it. For example, one point, we had to move out of our half of a duplex because uh, the owner who lived on the other side, his father had Lou Gehrig's disease, and he needed his father to move in with hospice into our place for the last number of months of his life. And we were happy to move out, but we had nowhere to go. And so there was a, a family in our church that took us in, and we lived in their house for a number of months, and it was an African-American family. And that experience and that journey fundamentally had an impact and still is having an impact to this day and how I view myself in relationship to the African-American community. I, I gained a great love for black gospel during that time. In fact, uh, uh, I, I don't know that I gained a hate for country, but I don't have any love whatsoever for country music. Uh, <laughs> So uh, apparently we were always in city, suburban living. I never made my way out into the rural sections of humanity. So, 
But what I'm describing for you is, is a lot of change, and I had benefits from those changes. There were some, some things that were challenges for me. You have to gain new friendships when you move from city to city, neighborhood to neighborhood, school to school. And, and uh, you wonder if uh, the relationships that you're going to have are going to last. And So I had a number of challenges, but I gained a lot of benefit. And when it comes to looking at change in my life, I actually have a sense, even when something negative happens, things will change and it will get better. There's almost an anticipation in my head and my heart because of my life experience. Now, my wife, she grew up in the same house for 21 years. And uh, when she moved out and we got married, she knew one experience in the city of Blaine her entire life. And it was stable and it was secure and it was awesome for her. I am... I'm privileged to know my wife, and she knows Blaine better than I do, and, and, uh, and, and she loves it. But when it comes to change, how she views change is completely different than me. Because it's uncertain. What's going to happen? And then all the scenarios can pop up. And neither of us are better people as individuals. It's just that we have different uh, perspectives on life based on where we come from. I know under the sound of my voice today that when it comes to change in life or difficult seasons of our journey, many of us are, are confident that things will work out. But there are others of us in here that you don't feel so good when there's change and there's a lot of uncertainty. And I know under the sound of my voice, we've got all kinds of changes going on. we got kids that are moving up and moving out and growing up and moving out. And, and we've got people that uh, uh, maybe you've lost a job or you're, you're dealing with the pain of change in a relationship that's really important to you or financial changes in your journey or, or maybe, maybe you're just, your physical body is going through change. All of us have gone through a number of changes. And today, we're going to talk about the seasons that God leads us out through change and into the new and the unfamiliar. Change is not a word that everyone appreciates, but if we can lean into change and learn to trust God and embrace our moments, the bigger story will develop right on schedule. See, I'm amazed at the process that God takes us through and how he grows people, grows families, grows nations. And if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus today with me, we're going to look, I'm just going to put, uh, I'm going to draw certain scriptures and during a part of Israel's story. But I want you to think about the whole of the scripture. This, this Bible is fantastic. There is so much gold in here. And if you haven't, gone through the Old Testament recently, friends, may I encourage you to pop it open because the story of Israel and what God was doing was phenomenal. And as we get into Exodus, and you can go and, and kind of follow along with me before I even read the actual text. Before we even get into Exodus, God promises a relationship, a special relationship with Abraham way back in Genesis. And that special relationship was set up to say your descendants will be as great as the stars in the sky. And then Abraham's grandson, Joseph, was a part of a story years later where Israel, the people, the hundreds of people at that point in time and the family had to move from Canaan all the way down to Egypt to be rescued from a famine. And that's where the family stayed for 430 years. And during those 430 years, 
the people multiplied. They had babies. They grew. And they grew so large that people in Egypt became threatened by this large growing group of Hebrews, they were called, that were among them. And they were nervous about it, and so they were determined they were not going to let the Hebrews take over, so they turned them into slaves. And during that time, the slavery that was unleashed on the people of Israel became harsher and harsher and harsher. As a matter of fact, many of the people forgot about the stories gone by of what Abraham had originally promised. They knew about a promised land, the place where their nation could land or their family could land. But the truth was they were not a nation. They were just a family that multiplied. And they lived in essentially ghettos, places where they were gathered all together and had to live in a specific portion of the cities so they could be contained and controlled. And they didn't have an identity. All they had was stories that were passed from one generation to the next. Moms and dads sharing the story of what God had said to Abraham to their kids. But much of their lifestyle, the rules for living, right and wrong, actually came from Egypt. Because there was no Bible yet. There was no law yet. There was nothing yet. And then by the time you get to Exodus... They had begun to pray, and they were praying to God for deliverance from their slavery. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. This is one of the things that I get great hope from, that even in the middle of my journey, my slavery, my pain, when I cry out to God, he hears my cry. Can I get an amen? amen. It was the great cry of the spirituals that the slaves would sing early on in America's history that we would like to forget about. But even in their hearts, they would sing a song that God would deliver them just as he had delivered Israel. God recruits his chosen leader, Moses, and this is what you'll see in Exodus is God calls him out and says, I want to, to lead my people Israel out of captivity. And of course, the grand story, I wish I could give you the epic story today. You can watch it in a few movies that are out there, Prince of Egypt, one of my personal favorites. Uh, in, in cartoon form. Uh, there's epic movies about how Israel was brought out. Pharaoh eventually released the Israelites to go after 10 horrible plagues, hit the land, the last, which was the worst, was the death of the oldest son if the blood was not over the doorpost. And of course, during that time, the people of Israel had been praying for deliverance, but they didn't know what deliverance looked like. And so the deliverance that came, came in the form of one night, they were called together, they were told to put blood over the doorpost, and they were told to pack their things and get ready because tomorrow they were going to leave. 
And if you can imagine stable living and going, what am I going to take with me? What am I going to go with? Because I'm never coming back to this house anymore. And they went into portable living the very next morning as they took off. And God continued to do amazing miracles. And he split the Red Sea. And, and they got across on the dry land in this desert. And then this journey that they were going to take, this journey that they were going to take was supposed to only take about 40 days if they had gone a direct route. But instead, it turned into 40 years of portable living. 40 years that became the most fundamental, centric Israeli story until Jesus came. These 40 years were the place that God shaped the people of God. It was to become what I call the meta-narrative. The story that was much larger than the individual moments that they were going through. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for Israel? Can you imagine, as we were talking about this a few months ago, Pastor Shirley Dennis, she says that, uh, can you imagine having to pack up belongings time after time? Can you imagine what it would be like to raise a family in a tent for 40 years? Cooking and packing and unpacking. It makes our own transition seem small in light of that. Can you imagine having to get your babies up and get on the move and to carry things and not really take much with you? But the Lord was taking a group of people who had been slaves and who had no national identity, and he was creating something in them. And that desert forged a nation. Everyone here today, everybody has a meta-narrative. Every one of us, we go through our seasons and stages of our journey, but in the larger journey, God is writing a meta-narrative, a bigger story in your life, in my life. God uses process to mature us. See, God is always building something larger than you can see. For Israel, getting them out of Egypt was actually relatively easy and quick. But getting Egypt out of Israel took 40 years. Just like the story of Israel's journey, when God leads us out of a place, he does so in order to build something new in its place. And he will build something new in you, no matter the change and the season that you're walking through. Right now, you need to learn, as Israel learned to do, to trust that the God has your meta-narrative. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's got your meta-narrative. <laughs> New words in church today. How about that? New words. Now, the shaping and molding that God did in Israel's season of living in tents is a great metaphor for all of our journeys. The great uh, relationship therapist and author, Dr. Gary Smalley, says that the secret to building a close-knit family is camping. So I have a tent up here and a stove and backpack to represent camping. Now, when it comes to camping, how many of you have gone camping before? All right. Um, anybody never gone camping before? All right. Um, I'll let you try to imagine if you've never gone before. Uh, not everyone's camping experiences are positive. <laughs> uh, my dad, in his infinite wisdom when I was younger, 
attempted to have a family bonding experience where relationships would be built and he would teach his children how camping was fun to get outdoors. So it took about four and a half hours to pack everything in. And finally, once we got in the car, it was March of that, in my fifth grade year. And uh, the weekend before, it was 75 degrees in Michigan. And it was supposed to be great, at least we thought so. And that was in the days prior to cell phones where you could get your, your, your forecast on your phone. And so my dad packed us up and we went north to a campground between two lakes near a town called Cadillac, Michigan. And uh, we get up there, we set up the tent. I have no idea what's going on. It was impossible to try to get all the poles together for the tent. And it was frustrating for me a little bit, but there was a little bit of excitement. Hey, we're outside, this is not the normal thing. And me and my brother and my sister and my mom and dad, we got packed into the tent eventually. Well, during the night, a storm front came in and the temperature continued to drop. And the rain began to fall. And eventually the rain came over the bottom of the tent into the tent. And the temperature dropped from 70 degrees to 31 degrees during that time. As I'm shivering there, I'm going, what am I doing? My dad eventually, I don't know if it was because my mom was elbowing him or whatever else, finally somewhere around four or five in the morning, we all packed back into our station wagon and slept for a couple hours, freezing still. Now my dad, one of his statements is, a roosh never quits. Instead of packing us up and sending us home, my dad decides we're going to stick it out. So that day, he goes, and he goes to his Coleman stove, and he tries to start the Coleman stove, but the Coleman stove wouldn't start because the wind was blowing. So then he had an ingenious idea to take the picnic tables and turn them sideways to try to block the wind. An hour and a half later, he decided that wasn't going to work, and I think we made our way to McDonald's in Cadillac for breakfast. <laughs> we spent the rest of the day there. I think we went up to a town called Petoskey and then looked at some log homes and drove home. We never went on a camping trip again. <laughs> and not only that, I have never taken my son's camping. <laughs> So sometimes your experience can teach you not to do something. I have some regrets. I do wish I had taken my boys camping at some point. Right now, my idea of good camping experience is Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> and then we can go outdoors and do other things. The reason I describe that to you is, listen, all of our experiences teach us something. And what I want you to do is begin to think about the experiences and the transitions you're going through right now. And what can God teach you? What can he show you? And despite my troubling experience, we need to learn to embrace what God will show us in the middle of the story. Listen to what Moses would challenge Israel because he knew the time was coming when they would leave their season of living in tents and portable living. And he didn't want them to forget the lessons that God was teaching them during those 40 years. Deuteronomy chapter 8 
verse 12 says this, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness and its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. You know what he's saying? Don't ever forget what God was teaching you during this season. Because he is teaching you something. He's helping you discover things. If you will listen, he will help you. Our church is going into a building transformation season. And I know that the building is going to go through some change. The sanctuary, we're not going to feel a lot of pain in either campus for a while. But there's going to be change in the parking lot in Maple Grove, and people are going to have to park in different ways. And in Spring Lake Park on Wednesday nights, our kids' ministry is going to be portable and move around to different places because we're going to work on sections at a time. Our prayer service is going to have to move over to Spring Lake Park High School. And there's questions as a pastor. I'm wondering, will my people go with? Will, will they stick with praying? And it's a really important deal for what God does in our church. And the truth is this. The truth is we need to learn to stay close to God during our season of transition as a church. And I believe God will do something in us over the next 8 to 10 months that makes us different when it's all done. That we don't just revert to who we used to be, but we kind of grow into what he's calling us to be. Can I get an amen? He's going to mature us. So today I want to ask, there's three things that I think we can discover while we're in a season of living in tents. The first thing is this. We can discover God in the wilderness. In the times when it feels like, what the heck am I going through? Why am I going through this pain? Why do I feel this tension inside? God, what are you doing to me? We can discover God in our wilderness. For Israel, the desert journey forced the people to experience God. It was in the desert that God gave them the word, the Ten Commandments, the law, the ways for living. They received direction from God during that time. And by the way, many of you like skip over the Leviticus, all the, the prohibitions and the, the rules for worship. But let me tell you this. All of those particular things about living and the rules for living that are in the Old Testament were meant to help Israel move away from who she was in Egypt and follow a better path that God had made them to become. And by the way, many of us in here, we did not grow up Christians. So all we do is we kind of live out what we were trained to do and what we were. 
But as you follow the Lord, he will use your wilderness and his word to change how you think and how you live. That's a process. It was a process for Israel. It will be a process for you. And if you have somebody around you that's new to the faith, you need to give them grace to go through a longer process. Not expect them to be super Christians overnight. Can I get an amen? amen. God gave them loving discipline as a father. When they whined, he disciplined them. When they complained, he dealt with them. They found direction and protection from him and a pillar of cloud of smoke that they'd follow during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They discovered that God was their healer. It was in the desert that he showed himself as Jehovah Jireh, their provider. He showed himself as Jehovah Rapha, their healer. He introduced himself to people. You think that when you look at this, that the people of Israel knew who they were. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know up from down. But they discovered it in the wilderness. They discovered that God was there for them. And Israel learned to trust God. And those who refused to trust God, they didn't make it to the promised land. They died in the desert. See, even the organization of how God had them arrange Israel while they were in the desert, is they would set up tents in circles all around the tabernacle, which was in the middle, the tent of meeting with God. See, they had the, he was the central place for Israel. Instead of it being random and out there, they, they had to live their life around God, essentially, in a physical way as well as a spiritual way. Jesus, for us, needs to become that. You see, in the middle of your chaos, you might be used to going to Facebook and whining on Facebook. Frustrated about whatever it may be. You might be accustomed to calling someone else. For Israel, they were accustomed to calling other gods, lowercase g. And it was in the desert that God helped them be weaned from other gods to only one God. For our help can only come from one place. Can I get an amen? I often will hear, well, Jesus is my number one. He's the top of my list. But I often think that's a scary proposition. Because in this world, we have 10 things on our list. And sometimes 2 through 10 outweigh number 1. Jesus doesn't need to be number 1 in your life. He needs to be the center of your life on which your life revolves around. And the more Jesus becomes the center of your life, the more you'll discover that he's with you and he will lead you out of the wilderness that you're in. Can I get an amen? What should we discover while living in tents? Secondly, we need to discover ourselves. You can discover yourself. You, you look inwardly and discover what's inside of you. See, when we live in tents and we learn to shed that which is not essential and embrace what truly is, we learn to, to find out what's inside of us. And change and transition have a way of bringing inner issues to the surface. We find out what's in the cup when it gets tipped over. See, insecurity can cause us to complain to others or take our frustration out on those who we love or even wish that we had it the way it used to be. 
For Israel, that's the way it was. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, it says, We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone and all we ever see is this manna. You know, they reached the point in their journey where they were bored with where they were, they were hot, they were living in tents, and they forgot their slavery. All they could remember was a little bit of provision that they had when they were slaves. Isn't it interesting how distorted our perspective becomes sometimes? And things come to the surface and we forget where our help came from. We forget how good God truly has been to us. And the truth is, we need to let that stuff come to the surface and allow the circumstances to bring it up. And when it comes up, we can turn it right over to God and get it out of our hearts. And that's essentially what we need to do. See, human nature is to long for the old normal because we find comfort in a normal. We can even find comfort in dysfunction. We liked it better that way. But the reality is God is gently leading us to a new normal. He's taking us to a new place. He lovingly allows us to go through discomfort of the new realities until we finally talk to him and ask for strength to follow into his future. N.T. Wright says that character is a slowly forming thing. It doesn't happen overnight. And God is not in a hurry when shaping our character. I used to hate it when I was going through stuff that was difficult. And my mom would say, well, honey, the Lord's just building character in you. (laughs) Nobody wants to go through the lessons of it, but how many have found that the most difficult circumstances of your life shape the best character in your life? That's how... He works. Deuteronomy 8 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Don't resent the wilderness. Listen and realize that in it, God's voice speaks clearly. I want to just mention one thing at this point. I've got two ladders on the platform over here. And in life, it could be our career, it could be a relationship, it could be something we're pursuing. We get on a ladder and we get so far and it feels like we get stuck. There's a ceiling. I don't like this marriage. I don't like this job. I don't like how they're treating me. And eventually we begin to look over and we see the grass being greener on the other side. And we desire that. And we go, you know what? I bet you I could go higher on that ladder. I bet you I could go further if I go a different direction. If I leave this church, it'll be better somewhere else. If I leave this marriage, it'll be better somewhere else. If I leave this job, it'll be better somewhere else. And so we sometimes will jump down and get back up on that other ladder until we get to the very same rung. And we hit the same lid. And it wasn't about the ladder, it was about our heart. Because God is the one that promotes. And if we can learn to pause and humble ourselves in our transition, 
in our season of living in tents, in the difficulties and uncertainties of the wilderness. If we can do that, then he will promote us out of the season that we're in. Truthfully, our responsibility is to pause, to recognize ourselves, yield it to God, and let God do the lifting up. Can I get an amen? amen? Third, we can discover your people while in the wilderness. What do you mean? Meaning, Israel had to learn that they had brothers and sisters, family members, relationship. They were all committed to the same thing. They had to learn who God was. They needed to learn who they were, but they needed to connect with the people around them. Friends, together is better than alone. Faith is not designed to be lived out in isolation. God has caused our paths to overlap because we need each other for the journey. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. See, we need to allow the transitional and mobile stages of life to draw you closer to people, not away from them. Let me say it again. Allow the transitional and mobile stages of life to draw you closer to people, not away from them. Relationships are built on shared experiences and often shared trials, and we're going to need people. We need to draw closer to the ones that are in our life. I always know as a pastor, when I'm watching someone go through difficult seasons, if they pull away from people, I know they're in danger. You may not feel like talking when you're in the valley of grief. You may not want to share it with anyone else. But the most dangerous place to be is away from the body. Jesus talked about it as a shepherd when he said that the one left the 99 and got caught in a thicket. When you're on your own, you're target practice. When you're in the group, in the flock, you have the protection of the shepherd. Amen. Thankfully, the Lord comes after us when we get stuck in the thicket. But I wish that some didn't have to go through it. See, God is forging us into his people, not alone, but together, his nation. Consider the words of Peter, Jesus' disciple in 1 Peter 2, 9. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And he goes on to say in verse 11, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. All the way into the New Testament, the encouragement of the founding fathers of the faith, the apostles, was to the people of God, essentially the same thing as the instruction from Moses to Israel. And it was very simple. He just said this, even though you get into your fixed housing, in your hearts, still be living in tents. Don't hold too tightly to the stuff you have or the status that you have so much that you forget, this is not our home. There's another one we're going to. 
And as we encourage one another with these things, we can discover, you know what? The world may be going crazy right now. They're going to be uprising and, 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 and all kinds of takeovers in other nations. And there's going to be terrorism. But for the people of God, our hope is not in the security of the United States. Our hope is in the Lord, period. That's where our hope is. I'd like to ask our worship team to come and be available right now. We're going to sing in just a moment. But I close with this thought. As I look at my own life and uh, consider the seasons and stages of my own wildernesses, I have discovered that I have to reinvest my time, my energy, and trusting God the way I did when I first gave my life to him. Even as a pastor, as a leader, when I was a youth pastor, I had hundreds of, of teenagers and young adults over time that trusted me as a leader, a spiritual leader. Many of them are now grown-ups. I pray and hope that they remember the Word of God. They don't need to remember me, but I want them to stay on the path they should be on. But in my own life, I'm not guaranteed to be a trusting person in my heart just because I preach the Word. I have to choose to trust the Lord. Amen. And I remember when I left the security of knowing who I was as a youth pastor here at Emmanuel in 2003. And in that period of time, I, my identity was fused with my role. I was Pastor Nate. I led JC's place, this youth group. We had a TV show and I had a bunch of staff. And, and we had master's commission at the church and we were raising up leaders and other youth pastors were calling me to be their mentor and show them how to do it. And I was pretty content with my identity and my status and my journey. And right in the middle of it, God called me to go somewhere else. Literally, I get a phone call on a Friday. I pray on Saturday, I resign on Tuesday. It was God's whisper. And he called me to go to North Central University, a great Bible college, my alma mater, to serve under my mentor, one of my mentors, Dr. Gordon Anderson. Great thing in that regard, but it meant massive change from my identity. People didn't walk up to me and say, hey, Pastor Nate, anymore. I didn't have a team of people ready to do whatever I dreamed up around me. I didn't have a congregation to preach to every week. In fact, I was kind of at the uh, beck and call of district youth directors and other places and whether or not they wanted me to come and speak. I felt very alone. It was as if the tide went out and I was on the shore standing by myself. People would walk by me in the hallway two weeks after I resigned here at Emmanuel and they'd look the other way because they didn't know what to call me. And they were embarrassed. And then there were seasons and times when I was down at North Central and I didn't, I didn't feel like, look like, sound like any of the other professors that were there. I wasn't into education the same way they were. I grew to appreciate it over time. But I felt alone. That was a 10-year period of wilderness for me. Some people would say, well, wasn't that great? Everything was terrific. You, you got promoted. I ended up being a vice president. I had a lot of influence. And I will tell you, it was the loneliest 10 years of my life. But I had to trust in the whisper, in the mission, in the call of God more than the uniform that everyone saluted. I had to stay close to him because the time came when I was feeling comfortable finally at North Central, thinking I was going to be in education for the rest of my life, 
when God whispered and called me back home to be a lead pastor. And I will tell you, when I look at those 10 years now, I can see where God stationed me in learning how to be a different kind of leader in ways that I never would have learned while I was at the church as a youth pastor. God had to take me out for me. He also needed to do something in my family. In fact, Jody will say sometimes that those 10 years were a gift to her and my boys because they didn't have to share me on the weekend that they got to find who they were. It was during that time that we lost a lot of our relationships in the church to pull back and allow them, uh, the next leaders to, uh, to build relationships. That Jody invested herself in the community and that's when she ended up running for school board and she's been in the school board for 11 years now and she's the vice chair of the school board of the Spring Lake Park Schools. Why? Because she, she had the opportunity in ways she wouldn't when I was still pastoring. You hear what I'm saying? What I'm saying is what you see right now isn't the full story. There's a larger meta-narrative that God has for your life, and he's growing you. And you and I need to continue to trust him, not in the status and the station that we currently are in. Would you stand with me today?